0: This is Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin magedigan Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport.
1: We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate
2: about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track.
0: A big shout-out to Saucony for sponsoring our Season 2 production costs. At Saucony, a good day is when we get to run. A great day is when we inspire someone else to run. Run for good, and thanks for keeping track! Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. We talk to friend, Olympian, and marathoner Amy hastings Craig about her recent retirement from racing. The exciting next chapters in coaching, her highlights in her running career, how she has cultivated resilience throughout her career, and her thoughts on current topics like super shoes and social media. Plus, we ask her what her fastest ever time trial was and some of her highest mileage weeks in training, and you will be wowed by those numbers. Thanks for keeping track. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Keeping Track. I am here with Alicia as we do a quick catch up. And then we'll dive into the episode with our friend, marathoner, and world championship bronze medalist, Amy Hastings. Hey, Alicia, what's new
2: on your end? Hey, hey, I'm super sad that I missed that episode with Amy Hastings. She's a buddy of mine, too. I love her. For me, uh, I actually want to a really funny story about Amy. We were at the Olympic Training Center together back in 2009. and she was traveling to a race. I was staying back, recovering from my navicular stress fracture that I had then. And she had me take care of her plants and ivy. And then I got called. I was like be, like getting better. And then I was invited to go race. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go. Later. And I just totally forgot that I left her <laughs> ivy in my car. And I, it was like, I was gone for a week and a half. I'm taking care of my friend's oh, plant. No. I was gone for like a week and a half. But I came back and it was flourishing. It was like green. It was like beautiful is doing better than when I had it, um, you know, out. And I told A, I I ended up telling Amy about it. And she was like the greenhouse effect. That's perfect. She was not mad at, <laughs> me at all, but at the same time, um, anyway, that was a silly story. what did I tell that? Uh,
0: that, was, that was a funny story. I like that
2: story. <laughs> that's me missing me, but anyway, I'm sad. I missed it for me. What's new is a lot. Um, I just took a few weeks down with the family. Um, obviously after last year and the craziness, I felt like I was running out of battery and out of steam. So I went back, you know, to visit our family and grandparents and it was nice. And so we just arrived back home and very excited because I'm getting ready to launch my clothing line with Kate and Shay that's going to be coming out this summer in a couple of weeks here. So everyone just keep your eye out for uh, the Alicia Montano Bloom line with Kate and Shay. So I'm excited about that.
0: I'm so excited about that. That's awesome. That sounds like so much fun. Sorry if you can hear my
2: dog in the background.
0: We love them. It's okay. <laughs> That's yeah. We'll 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 drop lots of links to how you can buy that when that comes out. When's the date?
2: Our drop date is. I won't let to share it yet, but I'll, okay. I'll keep You posted.
0: Okay, we'll it's, stay it's, tuned. It's, yeah, exactly. It is July, everybody. So stay tuned. That's so exciting. Lots yeah. of flowers. I'm I'm thinking, picturing yeah. flowers.
2: Wink. Not much week. <laughs>
0: signature
2: (laughs) pattern. That's right.
0: Um, not much going on on this end. I'm just trying to rehab my old foot ankle injury and hopefully dive into a marathon buildup, but I did want to do some shout outs that are overdue. We are loving. I took some inspiration actually from this podcast. I just want to give a shout out to, uh, hear her sports. If you guys want another women's sports Podcast that elevates lesser known stories of women in various sports, not just track and field. She does a lot of other sports. Elizabeth Emery is the host, um, and we wanted to do a shout out. We thank her for giving us a little bit of love a few weeks ago. So, hear her sports for some more women's sports action. And the other shout out I've been meaning to do all summer is I just wanted to say thanks to our intern. We have an intern, Isabel C., and she's been helping us do some of the website like update our blogs, doing some uploading, doing some editing for our transcripts. If you guys need transcripts, there's some for the last few episodes. Um, so thank you, Isabel. We have enjoyed having you on team keeping track without further ado. We'll send you over to Amy, uh, just a quick rundown on what we talk about. Um, we share some of Amy's journey in the sport. We talk about her thoughts on super shoes. We talk about, her bronze medal performance and we just liked hearing from our friend so we'll let you listen in thanks for keeping track a big shout out to Saucony for sponsoring our season two production costs at Saucony a good day is when we get to run a great day is when we inspire someone else to run run for good and thanks for keeping track Welcome back to Keeping Track, everyone. Roe and I are here with Amy Hastings, our friend, former training partner, and uh, she is here to talk about anything and everything. But I'll do a little bio. She is a two-time Olympian for Teen USA, once in the 10K, once in the marathon. She has made five Team USA's between the 5K and the marathon. Her marathon PV is two twenty-one forty-two, which I think, Amy, is at top five ever in U.S. history? Top four? I
3: believe it was fifth all time at the time, but it might have been bumped back since then. So mm. your
0: you're top five in U.S. history, 2017 World Champs Marathon Bronze Medalist, mm-hmm. high school Kansas State Track and Cross Country Champion, and at ASU, 10-time All-American? Yep. Uh, and NCAA champ at the indoor 5k in 2005. So Amy, you've been good for a really long time, mm-hmm. but you we did it, all, you did it all, Amy. I did it all. You've done it all. You've done all the events. You've, you've done it at every level. So there's so much valuable insights. Um, how do you like to introduce yourself? What do you usually say?
3: Hi, I'm Amy. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Um, Yeah. No, I guess as far as running, you, you hit it, hit it all. So, um, yeah, it's been a ride, a fun ride.
0: (laughs) I know it's been fun to be parallel with you for so many years. Like we've done so many teams together and like so many NCAA champs together and stuff.
3: I tell people all the time. I'm like our first year at the Olympic trials. I think we were like battling it out for like (laughs) 13th and 14th.
0: (laughs) I know. Um,
3: So it's been, yeah, it's been really fun uh, having you around all these years.
0: I know, it's been fun. And we're always right next to each other because we're alphabetically Hastings and Huddle. Well, we we were. (laughs) Yeah, we were.
1: Yeah, back in the day. And congratulations, Amy. You just like retired officially from like your track career. But now when you kind of like sum up your career like that, what does that feel like to just hear the list of like from high school to college, professional? And all that comes with that roller coaster, like you're saying.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm so proud of everything I've done. And like, whenever I think back to those things, I think back to like where I was at that time and just like everything I've been through. And um, it really has like looking back on it, the farther I get away from competing, I just look back on it. And it's, it's, yeah, it was such an incredible experience. And I just feel lucky that, that I was able to have it.
0: Can you tell us what you're doing now? Um, what you and Alistair are doing. Cause I feel like that it's like really exciting and you're really well prepared for it at this point.
3: I'm, yeah. Incredibly excited about, um, so Alistair and I are starting a running group sponsored by Puma, uh, here in North Carolina. And we have so far four athletes, um, and it's already just a great group of people and we're looking to expand and, um, yeah, we want to be competitive on the national and international stage for the U S and maybe some other countries as well. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been really fun and yeah, we're just excited to see where we can take it.
1: Amazing. So maybe you've gone straight from like being a professional athlete yourself to coaching now and how is, what's like the biggest lesson you've learned? I know you just knew, but like, what's the big difference between being the athlete versus now being the coach and the leader of the group?
3: I, I will say it's actually more similar than what I thought it was going to be. You have more time during the day, which is a little bit nice. You're not like constantly like, Oh my gosh, I need to, you know, rest all the time. You, you, so that's, that's definitely different and nice. But, um, as far as being the coach, I would say, so you get the same kind of nerves before the race, but when the gun goes off, I felt like as an athlete, everything kind of quieted down and you're able to focus. And then at the end you had this like big relief. You don't quite get that as a coach. Um the gun goes off and you still have that same nervous energy through the entire race. And then at the very mm. end it's still it's still kind of there no matter like feeling. You don't
1: get going. to like deregulate it, like you don't get to like discharge it.
2: Yeah. You, exactly. you don't it. get yeah. it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I wasn't quite expecting that. But um yeah, it's still it's it's I, I do very much enjoy the build up into races.
1: Are you still do you still find yourself running every day and like training and stuff? Or do you are you just kind of like no, I don't mean to do that.
3: So I stopped running for quite a while. Um, and then I recently kind of started back up again. And I run uh probably like I had my, like my biggest day yesterday. I ran five miles. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I would
3: say I run three to four miles most days. Welcome and, to
1: the post career yeah. move. Like I am all about it. So there's no judgment. I'm like, you need shake out, <laughs> it feels
2: good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
3: it's been, it's been a crazy transition. Like I, uh, it was hard for me at first when I started running one, I was like, oh, you know, if it's not seven miles mm-hmm. not worth doing mm-hmm. and now I'm like, ah, if I want to go for two miles, that's fine. Like, you know, just get out there for 15 minutes and power away. That's great. Mm-hmm. And, um, the other thing is, um, I was very like with my runs, especially these last few years where it's like. Okay, this run serves this purpose and mm-hmm. I wouldn't divert from that at all. So, um now I'm definitely more willing to go and explore different trails and you know mm-hmm. stop and look at a bird and kind of just enjoy it. Another um, roses, yeah. yeah. So that's that's been fun. That's been a really I I do it 100% for enjoyment now. Yeah, yeah. That's great, isn't it? <laughs>
0: um Amy, I always knew you'd be good at um sort of the other side of the athlete like like coaching and guidance side of things just cuz had so many experiences like as an athlete yourself like you've had great days you've had rough days you've been in a couple of different coaching systems like do you like what are some of the things you you feel like you're bringing into it if it's not too soon to realize like what are one of the biggest takeaways you've learned
3: i mean i've had so many experiences i've had so many incredible teammates and every place i feel like taught me something different um, but I guess right now, it's hard to take It's these general like takeaways or general mm-hmm. like, oh, I learned this. Mm-hmm. It's a little hard to like put into words, mm-hmm. um, but things come up on a daily basis, I would say, where it's like, oh, I actually know how to do this. I know the answer to this. And so either with something that I went through myself or that I was able to see my teammates go through. But I think I think the biggest takeaway from my career, the thing that I learned the most was, I learned the most from the bad times and that's what got me through. Um, like I I was able to dig deeper in those really important races when I had the opportunity to do well because of those moments that didn't go well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the biggest lesson I learned would be like, take the good with the bad because they play off of each other and they'll lead Mm -hmm. you to where
0: Yeah. And it's not fixed. Like if you have a bad result, like that doesn't mean that's just how you are or where you're going to stay for that season. Even it's just, you got to figure it out and keep going forward.
3: Definitely. A a lot can change in like four to six weeks. And yeah, it's constantly shifting and changing. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's cool because even with some of the athletes that we've had who have had little injuries and stuff, there's so many cool events in this sport that everyone can have their moment. Like mm-hmm. there's plenty of room for everyone. so mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I love it. Totally.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a fitness wearable that provides 24/7 personalized insights around your sleep, recovery, and daily activity. Whether you're running your first 5K or your 10th marathon, Loop can help you train smarter and recover faster so you can get to the start line healthy. Personally, I've been using Loop for a couple of weeks and my favorite feature is the sleep analyzer function. It tells me how many hours of sleep I really got versus how much I need based on my day's physical strain and even the quality of that sleep. So that's been pretty cool to see. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code TRACK at checkout. So go to WOOP, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter TRACK, T-R-A-C-K, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and run faster. Get to the start line healthy with Whoop.
1: With your like highlight reel there, we, when we listed your accomplishments at the start there, right? You're like success in high school, success in college, success in post-collegiate, like success on the global stage, right? Right. You would think, okay, like you don't know what defeat is. You don't know what disappointment is. But like what you were saying is there like for all of those highs that like are, you know, you get rewarded for and are known for, there's been like lows that you've had to bounce back from?
3: Yeah, there have been. I mean, yeah, it's um for every high that I've had like that, there has been an equal low. And I yeah. think every runner and every person experiences this. But really, it's just kind of you have to weather the storm when it's mm. bad. like you have to get through that bad mile because a good one's going to be coming up. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to have faith that it's going to happen. So and
1: how did you like what did you do to develop that resilience to make those comebacks? Because, you know, say somebody's listening to this right now and they're maybe in a low right now. Right. Like what is something I don't know if there's anything if you have anything on top of your mind that's like helped you and you're like, OK, I'm not in a good place right now. And I have to like find a way to kind of keep the faith there. Is there anything you'd want to share around that? Because you, you definitely like got the heights, you know, again, every time that you've had disappointments, like, is it something that you can think of that, you know, we might want to share?
3: So first and foremost, I would say during those times, like rely on your teammates. Um, Mm -hmm. Part of being a teammate is not only always helping everyone around, but also kind of being vulnerable at times and um, like allowing yourself to rely on them. So look for them for inspiration and help and just getting you out there on a daily basis. But then also I'm a big quote person. So the quote I love is, just as the tumultuous chaos of a thunderstorm brings a nourishing rain that allows life to flourish, so too in human affairs, times of advancement are preceded by times of disorder. Success comes to those who can weather the storm. Mm-hmm. And that's I Ching number three. I'm loving this.
0: This is what drives Amy Hastings.
3: We're looking yeah. at
0: home, but this makes sense. I mean, okay. this,
3: been going through a tough time or even just, uh, I, I like to tell um, people who are just out of college or having like had a bad race or something this, because that first year, especially in those first few years in the sport, they can be so brutal. You're doing things on a daily basis that you didn't think was possible. Uh, you're exhausted all the time. It's just, you, you kind of have to have faith that you're going to come through the other side. So it's always, there are many times where it's like, you just have to weather the storm. You have to get through this moment and keep pushing forward. Yeah.
1: And like, I mean, it's so easy to kind of, you know, sit back and, and reflect and kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, just, yeah, keep going. But if there's anyone who's in it at the moment, it is hard, right? And just kind of naming that, like, you don't forget that. Like you're saying, like you've coming out the other end now, you're retired and you still are like, those are the moments that really like stick with you and like stand to you. They right become
3: now. part of you just as much as the incredibly wonderful moments, if not more. And mm-hmm. so uh, you have to like take those and use them to your advantage.
0: I feel like the other important part of that is that you did was you fi- you have to change things up, like find what works. You know, like you have you can't just keep doing the same thing if it's not working, or not find the root of a problem or something like that. So I feel like that's something you did really well, like problem solve, like find what works, the kind of training, the event for you, like all that stuff. Thanks.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, there's courage in that as well, right? Ch- changing things up and like saying, okay, this isn't working with me, and yeah. I'm moving on. Courage, yeah,
3: there there are quite a few times in my career. Um, where, especially, yeah, looking back where it was like, sometimes it was the comfortable decision to stay, but I just like, I, for one reason or another, I knew I needed a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so it, it was really, I think, I think it's tough in this sport. Um, people sometimes become complacent or they just, yeah, they, they think this one thing's going to work and they keep trying and trying. But I think it's important to keep looking to see like, okay, what's the best version for me? Because not one thing works for every person. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. you have to like keep moving and keep searching for those answers. Yeah. Even when it's going well, you keep looking to see what you can yeah. do to be better. And kind of knowing where you
0: can be, like you kind of knew where you should be ultimately yeah. like performance level wise. Like if you're like, I yeah. know I can do X, Y, Z. Like I know I have that. So not settling yeah. for that less than well,
3: that. Litters of hope. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, yeah, just keep searching for it. And that seems like it takes a lot of, you know, kind of knowing yourself in that, like, versus like, okay, I'm in a situation and there's something like I need to change, like that there's a self awareness there that, like, you have to kind of listen to to actually make those moves and stuff. Right. So, you've been, and just for anyone who doesn't understand, Amy was, could you just name some of the groups that you've been a part of just so people have? frame reference.
3: So after college, I moved to Flagstaff for a year. Um, I worked with my college coach, Lou Cantana as well as Jack Daniels up in Flagstaff and Mammoth Lakes, California for four years where I was teammates with Dina Castor and Mev Keflezighi, and just a lot of great, like really incredible athletes and incredible people. Um, and then after that, I moved to Providence where I trained with you guys, um, Molly Huddle, Kim Smith, Roisin McGettigan, Ray Tracy, um, and then after that, I moved to Portland, Oregon, where I trained with Jerry Schumacher and the whole BTC crew.
1: <laughs> Which was your final stop before. That you... was my yeah. final stop. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So you've had a lot of experiences with like some well-established groups and really great areas. Do you feel like you learn different things at different the different groups. Is that? It- Absolutely.
3: I mean, so there were good things about all of the groups. Um, and we tried to take those good things as much as we could and build this. Like we had a a pretty specific list of criteria of what we wanted to like one for just even just the location. Um, but we also what we want to accomplish and how we're going to go about doing that. So it's, yeah, it, it was definitely taking all the good things from the group, kind of changing some things up and, um, Hopefully, yeah, hopefully the group uh, will be a force on the the U.S. stage and the world stage. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, great. definitely. With that kind of a background from being around Jack Daniels to Dina and Meb to Jerry and Shalane and knowing. Laser, Ray, Ray and, and you. <laughs> well, <like> Kim, <laughs> Kim Smith's
1: advanced training systems. It'll, there's such a wealth of info there. Um, yeah. Does it feel good to like kind of now kind of do your own take on that. And I like put them all together and like produce this new group.
3: It does. It's yeah. yeah, it's been, I mean, it's something we wanted to do for a long time was have a group like this. Um, Alistair has been talking about it for years and now that we're finally doing it and getting to like actually work with the athletes on a daily basis, it feels really good. And it, it it's, it's another one of those things. I go back and I look and it's like every injury I had, everything mm-hmm. I went through that was tough. I went through it now, and I I like know the answer mm. in a lot of situations, or that I've seen my teammates go through. So all those tough moments, it's like, okay, that was for a reason. Yeah. That was for this. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it yeah. feels like I all came full circle. Yeah, yeah. That's, it
1: feels like yeah. And now you're on the other side, and you're giving it back. Yeah, that feels that must feel good. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs>
0: So Amy, I know like one of the things, one of the traits of you as an athlete going way back to high school is you were, you're always like a high mileage responder and pretty much a workhorse. Like the more work, the better you got. Um, What would you say like your average mileage has been? Cause I know even in high school, you were upper eighties, like the last couple of years and like, what, like what period of time do you think you worked the hardest?
3: So in high school, I actually, I only got up to my max was 79. They like capped me there. Like, you're not allowed to run 80 miles a week. So I'd run 79. Um, That was pretty tough just because I feel like high school kids are so sleep deprived and I was no different. But I think, I don't know. There are so many times I worked hard through my career. I feel like it doesn't ever really get easier, but it does get better. If that makes sense. Like you're always, if you reach the next level, then you work for that level. Um, so yeah, it was tough. It was tough throughout. Um, but definitely got good returns and, um, yeah, it opened a lot of doors for me, so it was worth it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What kind of load would you be doing like for your marathon, like your most recent marathon days? Cause it's impressive. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I think people would be like, what?
3: (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So average, probably since I went pro, I've definitely averaged over a hundred miles a week since probably my second year being professional almost every year, but more recently my marathon mileage, um, my last two marathons. So before the world championships, I hit, it was about three weeks in the one forties, a little over three weeks. And then the second time for Tokyo, I did six weeks in the one (laughs) forties. That's like 20 miles a day. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, but I don't know, once I got into my move and, um, you actually get a lot of miles on those long run days and the workout days. So that helps, but I kind of just did it. And all I was doing besides running was eating and sleeping mm-hmm. <laughs> So mm-hmm. just on my schedule.
1: Yeah. And which marathon or which event was like the highlight? Was it at the end of those big cycles? Like, was it the, was it the World Championship medal? Was it Olympic? I'm curious which one stands out to you. Was it winning the trials in 2016?
3: I think the World Championship medal is yeah. the most special because that was something where I had, I just hadn't, on that stage, I hadn't done much yet. Um, and that's what, I, you know, that's what you always dream about. So that was a really, really special one to me. And that's the one, when I look back on my career, I'll be the most proud of.
2: Yeah. yeah
3: Can you, can you
0: take us back to that day? Like, can you give us a little bit of a backstory or for the people that don't know, maybe like, what was it like? What was your buildup like? Was it smooth? I know like your week <laughs> before wasn't super smooth. What was the race like? You were, ve- it was a very like weird race.
3: Yeah. I actually, I, I would love to bring out my running log and kind of take you through it because it was like, it was one of those races where if anything could go wrong, it did go wrong beforehand. Um, in fact, just just the day before, okay. So the week before um, I like, I wore my mask on the airplane and I was washing my hands constantly. Pre-COVID, pre-COVID. Yeah, um, so walking along, it was a, like a week before the race and my husband and I are walking back to where we were staying and we walked by a bus stop and this guy just who, it was blind, like I couldn't see him, he couldn't see me. And it was kind of dark out and he just sneezed out and it went like right into my face. And as soon as we did that, Alistair just looked at me because we could also just hear he was sick. And he was like, I just hope none got into your mouth. And about 24 later, hours later, I came down with like just a really, really bad cold and it was in my chest and in my head. Oh. So that was really rough. It was the day before I felt like I had completely cleared it from my system. So it was just like, just in the nick of time, if it had been, the marathon had been two days earlier, it would have been rough. But then the night before the race. So we decided that in order just to save time and be really comfortable, we rented a hotel room right where the marathon started, like right by the London bridge. So I'm like in my room and, to the team USA,
1: and just, just, for, to, just for anyone who didn't realize that's separate to the team. Yeah. you be staying
3: with team USA. Yeah. So you yeah. decide to get your own one. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Never from Team USA. So anyway, um I say like goodbye and Alistair and Jerry leave after my race talk and everything. And I'm in my room and I'm like finally going to bed. And all of a sudden I hear like, ooh, and I realize that the air condition has died, which not a big deal. I'm like, okay, it'll be fine. I call the front desk, they come up, they try to fix it, they tell me they can't fix it. Um, like they'll be able to in the morning. And so I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'll just go to bed. And I can just feel the temperature in my room rising. And like tried to open a window and there were people partying below. And so I'm like, okay, I need to go back to my hotel. Um, So it's like late at night and I'm in my pajamas and all my clothes are now at this hotel. And for the first time, like we were doing Uber over there. And for the first time, my phone just was not working. Like it wasn't, it just like couldn't do it. (laughs) So Um, I ended up hailing down, uh, one of the black taxi cabs and it was actually, it was really cool. So at this point it's like 11 PM and the guy drives me back to my hotel. And he was actually, when he was younger, he was like the fourth best boxer in the UK and just missed out on making the Olympic team. But he gave me like the greatest pump up speech ever. (laughs) Um, And so, so it was great. But then I get back to my hotel and the craziest thing I get into my room, it's nice. And the air conditioning is not working. And so this, they ended up bringing me like three fans, um, which I was probably just very sensitive to it because pre-race and everything. But um, yeah, so that happened. And then the next morning it was like, we were supposed to meet a bus that was supposed to go over to the start line and the bus didn't, uh, wasn't there. And we had to take, like, uh, we ended up like walking to the tube and taking the tube over. And um, it was just like, it was just one of those, crazy moments. And Alistair actually took a picture of me and I'm in like, just like a hodgepodge of clothes because all my clothes are at the other place. So it was like, still my pajamas in the tube. And I'm sitting there and I kind of have like this like grumpy look on my face. And he's like, he's like, it's all going to be good. You're going to look back at this and laugh because it's going to be a great day anyway. And so Mm -hmm. yeah, anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong before that race, but it was all, it was all good in the end. So it was
0: a great day. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how that buildup went? Because I I had heard you were really fit. I know you had some, like, if you want to talk, I don't know if you want to talk about you had some good time trials, it sounds like, but like, was it as smooth as I assume it was? Or did you have hiccups in the buildup? Because when you're, I've learned when you're fit, those little hiccups the week before the race, you can get away with because you're just
3: fit. That's what matters. So before the world championships, I would say up until about six weeks out, it was my smoothest buildup ever. I hadn't missed a day. It was the first time like I'd been getting through every single workout, which up until that point I don't think I had had a build up where I'd gotten through an entire like every single workout. Um there's usually one or two where it's like either didn't finish or couldn't hit something. And then about 3 weeks out from that race I actually had a plantar plate on my foot. So that was kind of a setback, but really like yeah, I I would still say looking back even with like the niggles and everything um, it was probably my best, best buildup. Um, you were
1: confident, like going in that you were in the shape of your life.
3: I was confident. I knew it was better than the trials and I knew it was better than Rio. So, and then the foot, it was one of those things where every day I was just looking at it. I was like, okay, you've got like 740 miles to go. <laughs> I had a countdown. I was like, you just have to last that long. Um, was it okay so in the race? It, I remember the first few miles, it was a little bit sore. And then I don't remember it after that. So,
1: and when you're in the race, like after that, all the drama of them, like the night before, and like my cortisol is high listening to you, (laughs) how did you, you know, find the race unfold for you? Were you going for a medal? Was it a surprise? Like, what was it like as the race unfolded?
3: So originally when we, with the way um, workouts and everything were going, uh, I guess, so the year before in Rio. It was one of those things. It was the best build up of my life. I thought it was pretty good. And I thought I could be in contention for one of those top three spots. I knew it was a long shot, but I thought if I could just be up there, um, maybe I could get it. And then on the day, it just didn't happen. Um, you, were
1: nine, you were ninth in Rio, was it? I was ninth in Rio. Nine, yeah, which is amazing. The American girls, you'd all, all run really well that day, didn't you? And then, Yeah, yeah. we were
3: all in the top 10, um, yeah. which is First time that's happened, and if if there was a team score, we would have. I think we would have. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, So that's that's exciting. But I think I think we all kind of came away from that a little bit disappointed. Like every single mm-hmm. one of us, we just trained mm-hmm. better than we ever had. Mm-hmm. Before. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things. When I finished, I was like, I want another shot at this. Like this yeah. is what I want to do. And I talked to Jerry about it, and he kind of he was like, okay, let's do world championships. Like that's your next shot. Um, like I just I wanted to redo, and I mean I think Des and Shalane, it was the same thing. They were kind of disappointed, and so they just put it into their training, and it led to some really incredible things. With Shalane winning New York and Des winning Boston,
1: yeah, um, and you winning a, a bronze I, medal. There you go. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So uh, it started. Yeah, so about a year before, I kind of wanted to redo. I knew I was in better shape than I was in Rio, so I thought it was definitely possible, but also looking at the start list beforehand, I was like, I could have a really incredible day and be 10. Yeah.
0: Like, that field uh, we have, to, we'll go back and link the results for people that forget who was in that field.
3: Yeah. It was just like so many incredible athletes and, um, yeah, I don't know. It just worked out. Um, I don't know. Can you, you Amy, can like you dispel
0: this rumor? Did you PR in a track event in that buildup? And can you tell us what it is? If you feel uh, something like <laughs>
1: Molly wants the juice there, go on.
0: <laughs> People need to know this.
3: So I actually, um, I PR'd in the 5,000 um, in practice with my husband pacing me and Jerry and Shalane were timing. I ran 14.55.6 nice. I was, um, okay. at the ninth track.
0: In a marathon so- buildup, that would make me feel confident.
3: That's great. Yes. yes. So that was really exciting. I've always been someone who kind of, I, I get faster as I do more mileage and get mm-hmm. stronger and stronger. So the marathon buildups have always helped stuff. So that was really exciting. Cause it was, it had always been one of That was the first event where the time really meant something to me. Mm-hmm. Like I knew exactly what it meant to run under 15 minutes. I knew what a three minute K was when I was younger. And, mm-hmm. um, so for a very long time, it had been my dream to go under 15 minutes and, um, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get into a race for it. And so, yeah, we took advantage of it. Uh, just yeah, this very thing. impressive.
0: That was one of my favorite races. Like I was glad to be able to watch some of that race in person. Cause they did loops by our hotel. And so I remember watching the loops and it stayed there was maybe a, I think one of the British girls had broken away early but it was just it was such a pack like all the major players were just in this pack watching and watching and then 5k to go is when it started so it was like a very like it must have been so hard to be patient that day you were you were really patient you look, but I I'm sure it was like oh okay don't go don't go
3: yeah the entire time especially when the British girl broke away for a long time It was really, really tough staying back. But I just kept focusing. I knew everybody in the field and I was just focusing on all the key players and trying to keep track of all of them, keep track of all of them. And I actually, at the very end, when we started to go, um, when Rose Chalima went by me, I was like, she's been back there this whole time, conserving energy. She's the only one I wasn't paying attention to dang it. Like (laughs) she's the one. And I think she showed like, she, she ran the smartest race that day. Mm -hmm. Um, because she just sat back quietly and waited. She was the most patient for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, And that's, that was like, there wasn't a big difference between one, two and three. And that's probably the difference for her. was like that little extra bit, but mm, watching you, it was still close. Like the last, like the top, like five or six women, like that last like half mile to mile, we were watching it on TV at that point, And we were just like, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I mean, I like to tell everyone I knew you had it because I know what you're like. <laughs> I'm like, she's got it. She's got it. Don't worry. But it was, I'm sure people were tense watching.
2: Yeah, I was
3: tense doing it. <laughs> there were definitely moments where I was like, this isn't going to happen. Like, like I found myself in fourth and falling back with probably three miles to go in the race. And I was like, I was just like, oh my gosh, not fourth again. But and that in
1: that moment. Yeah. What did you do? And like, when you, how did you stay with it? And like, how did you not let it spiral at that moment and just.
3: It was so really very lucky. I think about it all the time, but, um, so people on the course, they really helped me. Yeah. Um, like, like you wouldn't believe on that day.
2: Yeah. But Jerry
3: actually popped up at that, like kind of at that moment I was in fourth, I was falling back. I was really far back from her. And he was like, if you can get a little bit closer, you'll catch her with 800 to go. And that's all he said. And immediately it changed my mentality mm. from being like, Oh no, I'm in fourth. Not again. Like not, mm. you know, this is the worst place to, yeah. be, to being yeah. like, okay, a little bit closer means one step closer. And so I just put all my effort into that one step. And then as soon as I realized like I closed the gap a little bit right there. I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. now I'm going to catch her with 800 to go. Mm -hmm. And I just dug down and, um, yeah, it was one of the most painful things, but it, yeah, it was worth it. And, um, I was able to catch her with 800 to go. So.
1: And what was like crossing the line
3: then and knowing you had run? It was overwhelming. It really was. It was something, um, I had dreamed about for a very, very long time, but sometimes I felt like I didn't even have the right to have that dream. Mm Um, so I, I, it was just, yeah, there were times in my career where I thought maybe, you know, I should be done. And so when it finally really was, it was an overwhelming moment. Um, I like, couldn't really believe it. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was really special.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Keep believing, people. Keep believing. Yeah, <laughs>
3: you don't ever stop,
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing.
0: What would you say was one of the hardest races that you did, as far as like things not going to plan, or not to like take you from the high to the low, but just to like, I don't know. I think sometimes those stories are
3: eye opening too. So that would definitely be in 2012 in the marathon trials. I placed fourth, um, which top three goes and everyone else stays home. Um, And that was one of those, it was my second ever marathon. And I had just worked so hard and I felt like I had just committed everything to that day. And it's really, um, I think you you would know, but as an athlete, you kind of only like your world stops that day. You don't think past it Mm -hmm. and you don't think of of the option of like, oh, if I don't make the team or, um, so it's really tough. When when things just don't work out, and so that was that was yeah that was a tough moment. But
0: mm-hmm. then you came back to win 10K.
1: <laughs> you were able to pivot it. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was one of those things I really had to separate. Um, Like the 10K wasn't on my radar when I finished that race, but fairly quickly we decided, okay, this is this is something we want to do, and um, it really was on a daily basis. I kind of had to let go of that marathon dream. And really focused on this new, this new dream. Cause my, my dream was to make an Olympic team. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be in the marathon, but I've always loved the track as well. It was really kind of compartmentalizing that, that sadness and like, oh, I worked so hard for that and it didn't work out and trying to get past it. But really, I think that is that moment at the marathon trials is kind of what gave me that last little bit in the race mm-hmm. to be able to dig and qualify. Fighting race. You won that race. Yeah,
1: fine. Yeah. And you yeah. Not necessarily the favorite in the race wasn't an exciting race. I'm just there in a way it was like you were able to like take that disappointment and like transmute it into like, you know, more drive even with something yeah. fire. There was fire in you on that like
3: kick. That's I exactly. Kick. That's exactly what it was. So um yeah. So I don't know. If I had gotten third in the trial the marathon trials, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, had the drive and it wouldn't have been a good Olympics and um, you never know. So anyway, it's it's a moment like it was so hard at the time, and I feel for anyone in that position. Um, I don't think people who get fourth and fifth and sixth work any less hard or want it any less than the people who make it. So it's always tough, but I think you have to use those moments to your advantage.
2: No, it's
1: definitely. Only really like a skill set in itself, right? Your ability to do that, and as an athlete, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's really good with you. It's like a, a power
0: um switching topics amy we wanted to know um so your your group is sponsored by puma and we wanted to know does puma have a super shoe coming out because we feel like it's kind of changed the sport um and also like what are your thoughts on the flat uh what it's done to the roads and the tracks your experiences so puma does have okay there it is
3: called the elite it's their new racing flat. It's really incredible. It's my favorite one that I've run in so far. Uh, we have a marathoner on the team, Emmanuel Rudolph Levis, and he's done some like actual workouts. I haven't actually worked out in them, but he's done some, some real stuff and he absolutely loves them and has been doing very well. So I think they're comparative, if not better than some of the other ones out there.
0: And they kind of came into the picture like halfway through your marathon career. So like, were you able to, Did you help create them, Amy? (laughs) Did you have much feedback (laughs) in the
3: early days? No, I mean, so I feel like all the companies, they make you feel so good about yourself. They're like, oh yeah, you had a big hand in this, but really it's like these geniuses behind it, that you know, they do everything and they listen to what you have to say, but it's all them. So no, I did not have (laughs) a hand in creating the super shoes. Um, but I was one of the first people to ever try them. The first time I wore them was in the marathon trials in 2016. And at the time it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't really a thing where you just, when you were part of a company, they gave you shoes and you picked the best one that you liked. Um, and it was the one that I liked. So there wasn't any controversy around it. Um, they had a
0: very quiet start. I feel like. They did have a
3: very quiet start, um, so they were new shoes, and they were still trying to sell the older version of the shoe, and so they didn't want it to be broadcasted because then they were worried that the older shoe wouldn't sell. Yes, no,
1: that's a strategic thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: It seems like the, the second or third version, maybe
0: things really started to be like everybody on the line had those. Yeah, pretty
3: quickly, yeah. I think. Um, there, there are a big difference. I like. I really appreciate the fact that they're moving forward in technology. I think with spikes um, you can see these incremental changes over the years. but with the the marathon shoes, I remember walking in and I saw Joan Benoit Samuelson's shoes from the 84 Olympics in a case and I was like I looked at them and I was like ah, that's about what I run into. <laughs> like the flats hadn't really progressed very much. Um, so I think instead of those incremental changes, we saw a giant change all at once. but I do think, it was a lot of the things that they heard athletes complain about, like, Oh, my legs feel like they've been, you know, hit by a hammer at mile 17 of a marathon, or I can't handle the side to side motion, things like that. They took all of that and they really tried to fix it. And so I am a fan of moving forward in the sport and continuing to, to improve, mm-hmm. improve the shoes. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's funny that um, the Saucony shoe team, when they were making the endorphin pro, They were like, what? So, you've run a couple marathons in the regular, like our regular type A, type flat. Like, what? Like, do your legs feel okay? And I was like, I didn't know they were supposed to feel okay. Like, yeah, they feel bad at the end. (laughs) Isn't that how they feel at the end? And they were just like, yeah, I don't know.
3: Trying (laughs) trying to fix them. I used to describe the marathon. I was like, it feels like someone is hammering, like a small hammer at the bottom of your heel. And first your feet hurt, and then your ankle, and then your knees. And then it gets to your hip and your low back and it just feels like you've been hammered all the way up. And these, you just, yeah, you don't get that feeling anymore. So these young kids mm. will never know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: never get the hammer.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Our podcast today is brought to you by Whoop. What's great about Whoop is that it's completely different from your standard GPS watch. Whoop is focused on your body's recovery, and everyone knows that runners aren't always the best at taking days off or listening to their bodies, but I don't know if this sounds familiar to anyone. Every day, Whoop gives you a personalized recovery score based on things like your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, sleep, and respiratory rate, so you can monitor the changes in your fitness. The app also has built-in features like the Strain Coach, so you can see how hard you're pushing your body every day and set goals based on your body's recovery. Overtraining and injury are huge problems for every runner, but WHOOP can help you reduce those risks by listening to the underlying factors affecting your performance. WHOOP isn't just for elite runners. It's for anyone who cares about improving their life, staying healthy as a runner, and hacking their way to a new PR. So head over to WHOOP.com and enter track at checkout to save 15%. Get to the start line healthy with WHOOP.
1: Amy, I have a question for you that's kind of a different topic, but... um you know, in this day and age, talking about progress in the sport and everything else, like seems like a lot of athletes feel like they, their social media presence is like a big part of their contract or, you know, what their job description is. But it's not something that you've ever really, it seems to me like that it's something, something you're more private than that. Like you're not necessarily on social media as much. Is that true or I've not been seeing your updates lately?
3: <laughs> I'm definitely not. It's something... Bro, well, you've been blocked. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, no. Uh,
3: it's something I... It's just a personal preference more than anything. Um, it is becoming part of the sport. I, I definitely am aware of that. And um, it's just a, a part of everyone's daily lives, it seems like. But I just noticed for me personally, I would... I guess what it was, it was, it was definitely, um, for my marathons, I started it where I would sit down and during some of my rest time, I would look at like Instagram or Twitter or something like that. And I realized like, I wasn't actually resting mm. during that time. Mm. I didn't feel better after doing that versus, you know, actually laying down and, or like reading a book or something like that. Um, and so I would cut myself off of it for a while before marathons. And I realized I just like, I felt happier and
2: like yeah, my
3: relationships cool. with the people who um, I actually interacted with on a daily basis were better when I wasn't like also seeing this, like, I don't know. It was just different. Yeah. So yeah. So it's just a personal preference. Um, I just, yeah. it's wasn't really a purposeful thing at first, um, but it's kind of now it's something I definitely choose.
1: No, I think that's great to hear. And like, you know, for anyone who's not big social media, fan, like, it's- people are doing big things and necessarily aren't on social media as well. And they're just yeah. to, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of people doing cool stuff on social media, but there's a lot of people who aren't on social media doing a lot of cool stuff. And like, yeah. you know, yeah. So I just want to put that out there. yeah, right? yeah like- And
0: it's tough. It is tough to like, you, you almost as an athlete, I feel like it's hard not to do it now, as far as like the way things, the directions things have gone in marketing and just, yeah. what else like it's almost an expectation to check that box but i do think like this generation of athlete now has to figure out or a lot of a lot of people in this generation of social media have to figure out how do you balance that because it does have that effect like that's not just you like i felt that before i know a lot of other people have that kind of weird like anxiety and fomo when you're looking at social media so it's like what what's the next step how do you I don't know if it's pre-scheduling posts or having someone else do it, or I don't know what the, what the yeah. answer is.
3: I mean, it's, it's definitely, it, it can definitely be more of a stress than a stress relief, which I think is what people, when they initially download it, they're like, this is going to be fun, you know? And yeah, it's something I've noticed. It's definitely something athletes are going to have to learn to deal with. It um, mm, is part of it, it now. But yeah, you just feel
1: like I, you I just know. weren't. It wasn't yeah. like it wasn't part of your contract, or you weren't under pressure from agents or anything to be like, oh, you need to post. But like maybe some of the athletes nowadays are.
3: Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's definitely becoming more where it's written into contracts where it's like we expect this number of posts, and we want like mm-hmm. a brand specific and this many to be genuine, like just mm-hmm. to show your personality, things like that. Um, so it's it's definitely becoming more part of it. Um, I think it's, you can still limit it at this stage if you choose to do so. Uh, but I don't know if it's going to be that way in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, from my experience, it hasn't been like, oh, this is what you have to do. This is what we expect. It's just kind of like, well, you figure out how to show your authentic self and if it goes well or not, we might use that as sort of a something for you or against you later but it's not like you yeah it's like not formally in there and so you feel like Mm. maybe I don't need it's very it's we I feel like we're still in the like frontier
3: of social media Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. definitely Mm -hmm. the more ambiguous kind of phase Mm -hmm. of yeah I agree I think I think it's going to be more hard written rules going forward possibly but yeah we'll just we'll have to wait and see
1: So in the last couple of minutes, Amy, I'm wondering, um, like in retirement from sport in general, like when did you decide, like, OK, I'm done? Like, and how was that process for you?
3: So I, it was something it was definitely time when I finally made the decision. Like looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, it was definitely like this was the moment. Like, I, I feel like I got everything I wanted to. Um, I think every athlete has those reservations where they start going back and they're like, what if I had done this differently? What if I had done this differently? You know, there's always that, like you see a race or something. Ooh, maybe I can come back for that. But um, so I wanted to give myself time. So I, I had overtraining syndrome the last couple of years and it took me a long time of just basically just resting. And so no running, just to get healthy back to baseline. And I wanted to wait until I was completely healthy and to make the decision on whether or not to retire because I, Mm -hmm. my, my fear was I would retire. And then I like, Oh, I'm going to go out there and do it again. But, Mm -hmm. um, for me, especially it's been an easy transition, I think, because I still get to see athletes on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. I'm still around the sport and we just have a great group of people around us here. So it's, it was after I was healthy and, um, started kind of running again, I realized, yep, it's definitely time.
1: Yeah. 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 You wanted to kind of make sure like you kind of honored it and got back. And I'd love to have you back on some day to talk about overtraining syndrome and just what you've learned in that process. I feel like it's something that it's so difficult to understand and navigate. And I definitely think we should do a topic. Uh, this topic. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: I'd be yeah. more than happy to do that. I think it's, yeah. it's something where when I went through it, I was like, ah, maybe I'm just getting old. But mm-hmm. looking back on other athletes now as well, I'm like, actually, I think I've seen this in other athletes. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't realize it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. a tough one. It's a really tough one.
1: But yeah. More than happy to. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Well, I'll text you after.
0: <laughs> and just the last question we like to ask always is just here on this podcast, we like to talk about women's uh, sports journeys and maybe areas that aren't as talked about as often when you get interviewed, or maybe something people don't know as much about you, or just anything, any message that you want to leave off with. Because I know usually people will come to you with questions and kind of shape the story for you. But like, how
3: would you shape it? So I guess something I, I would like to say, um, Dina Castor kind of told me a version of this a long time ago, but it's, it goes back to what we we're saying. Is she said, look, there's always going to be good mouths and there's always going to be bad mouths. You have no idea in which order they're going to come. And that is something that has stuck with me and has proven to be true time and time again. So it really is, um, in those bad miles, you just got to put your head down and keep moving forward because you never know if a good mile is ahead.
0: I feel like marathoners need that advice. That's such a marathoner lesson.
3: I know even within, yeah, within the one race, (laughs) kind of both or more. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so it was, it was a very good piece of advice and I, I definitely held that, held that close to my heart for a long time.
0: I love it. Well, anyone who wants to follow the group, I don't know if you guys have like a website or anything like that. But um, where's the next race? We can at least is
3: the, the trials. Tri- the trials, yeah, they're coming up. <laughs> so um, we have Taylor Werner in the five thousand and Fiona O'Keefe in the ten thousand, and yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be very exciting. Awesome! I look forward to seeing you there
0: and a lot of other races. I'm so glad you're still gonna be in the events as a coach, and we'll have to catch up not recording it next time <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks for coming on amy it's so great to see you it was great seeing you too ro well done you're in a great position so well done keep it up the great work thanks keep <laughs> keep check.
0: Shoutouts to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our fungi outro song. Thanks, guys.
4: Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really, no. Know. know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock.